This week on the Pushable Lakes podcast, presented by Bear Bells, we're joined by Phil Lurley, and we talk about almost everything. Three, two, one. So many podcasts, Dan. Hey guys, welcome to the Push Poor Legs podcast with myself, Damik. And me, Tom Hall. What's going on, Daniel? Very well, thank you, Tom. We have a special guest, not the motorbike going past my window. Um, we have a special guest with us today. So, Tom, you can introduce yeah, our let's special go. guest. So, our special guest uh, today is Mr. Phil Lurney. So, we're really privileged to have him. What's going on, Phil? Uh, you know, just grafting hard, trying to trying to make a living. Exactly. Yeah, sounds about right for all of us, right, in the fitness industry. But yeah, um, so we thought it'd be truly an amazing opportunity to talk to you, mate, um, as one of the big guys. I, I think me, both me and Dan would say you're one of the big guys in the industry, but certainly in the UK. And also, we uh, have all got exactly the same beginnings within our personal training career. If if that's not really? known, so well apart from obviously you're from the north, but um, we all worked, <laughs> we all worked at Third Space under the uh, the normal Third Space brand. So when it was like the free the free uh, green dots, so we've all got that in common. Green, green dots, exactly right. Yeah, so, I've still I've still, still got some of the attire I still wear. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've some all the got, greatest uh, shorts I've ever owned. <laughs> Some of the greatest uniform that could be given out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I thought what we'd do with um, with Phil on, basically we're going to kind of talk about, I don't know, journey, career, kind of fitness, anything. I guess I'm, you, I'm sure like uh, you've talked about education and you're a big component of education now. So you end up talking a lot about throughout the subject. But we, I think a lot of people rather know about you um, more than anything else is what we like to talk about with guests. I think that's, that's right in saying that, Danny. Yeah, I think we um like like we had Tony Gentlecore on and we ended up talking about Star Wars. Yeah. So it kind of just goes off in tangents really. Um yeah, kind of getting to know the people behind the the social media and behind the um the posts I guess because I think a lot of people see us around and and people always, you know, saying they like content, they like all this sort of stuff and actually it's the it's the behind the curtain stuff and it's the how we de- how we develop, how we evolve, um how we adapt I think that people really are interested in rather than the um like you said the 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 training and the nutrition side of things especially yeah. the people that listen to our podcast we we chat about it enough anyway as it is yeah. um so yeah <laughs> um yeah we'll crack on so um obviously we know that you do the the ACA but apart from that what what's currently going on what are the projects that are going on at the minute anything ooh it's all it's all secretive stuff it's it's yeah. if i told you i'd have to kill you <laughs> yeah no no there's uh, uh we've got the clothing brand still going uh being athlete we've just recently uh, we recently sponsored the Gumball Rally, uh, so they had uh, they were all kitted out in our our jackets and uh, and hats, which was fun. Uh, I've got a, a, a couple of other projects which are fitness related. Uh, one which I can't say too much about, but it's uh, it's very industry related. And it, it, it's another thing to to help out coaches in the industry with something that they they use on a regular basis. Uh, few other bits going on we've got uh what else am i doing i'm i'm assisting with coaching some people for a film actually at the moment which is quite good fun as well 
I I announced my retirement last year and then uh, got dragged back into it nice. uh, to, to look after somebody for a film. And then then I've, I'm acting actually as a consultant on that more than anything, which is quite neat, uh, which I'll be I'll be heading off down there on Friday. I might actually do some video uh, video footage of that potentially. And then then just other bits and pieces, really. Uh, there's always stuff going on with the academy, so that that keeps me very busy, and uh, I'm always writing. So I'm, I'm in the midst of writing another book at the moment, uh, which will be very different to the last one I brought out, uh, more more public based rather than necessarily industry based, mm-hmm. uh, which will be quite neat. And um, it's quite nice writing it because you, you're dealing with a completely different demographic, so it's nice talking. Uh, a language that you used to speak into your clients necessarily rather than the one that you you know when when I'm spending time around coaches or educating coaches you speak in a certain vocabulary and it's it's just nice to water it down a little bit and actually just be a bit more you know personal really yeah sure. definitely I think that's something that uh, a lot of a lot of trainers are guilty of I think is that they're they're trying to talk to their demographic the way they talk to their peers and you can see it a mile off and, and like you say unfortunately that's um it's not always getting them uh the results they want I guess but um yeah but no, that's, that's good. I think it's a it's a large thing where where our industry is is kind of developed on the onus that you you're speaking to your peers all the time I think we do have a lot of problems with social media and things where people are too busy trying to impress their peers and the people around them rather than necessarily pressing upon the people we should be dealing with. Yeah, usually, usually the end of the case that apart from apart from when you run academies, etc., um, they aren't going to be your clients. Your peers aren't your clients. Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> if that's going to happen, that would be very odd most of the time. It's going to be general public that then come for you for help. So, yeah, I totally agree. Dan, you want to crack on first few questions as well, dude? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the main one is obviously like me and I guess me and Tom have followed you since since our first kind of um, foray into the fitness industry. So that would have been what? I don't know. How old am I now? Twenty eight, twenty one. Yeah, seven seven years, I guess. But we don't have to go back that far. Um, <laughs> I guess how? We're going to discuss my age, are we? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not quite, not quite. But um, I think I think the first time I would have followed I'd followed yourself would have been when you were. Doing a fair amount of work with PhD nutrition, I guess that was a, that was probably quite a while ago uh, in the initial stages of that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to kind of um, ask you, I guess, is how how your views have changed in the last say three years. You know, what do you consider now more important that potentially, you know, a few years ago you didn't deem as important, or vice versa? Uh, three years, three years is uh, really there. I, I don't think really in the last three necessarily years things have, have evolved or changed that much because my my focus in the last well three years has really been on my educational stuff mm-hmm. so so nothing's really evolved from my perspective with respect to uh, obviously I've, I've come away from personal training and training people uh, one-on-one I still do odd little bits here and there uh, but more on a consultancy sort of basis so with respect to you know what's changed in the industry uh Social media has become a, a, a very different thing to what it was when I first started. When I first started, social media didn't exist. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it, it was the way you got clients was to stick flyers up around your gym and, and maybe drop a few around the town that you worked in. And that was about as far as it got. If you were fortunate enough, you might get a gig for a magazine or something along those lines. But again, mm. back then, there was, uh, there was a handful of magazines that were related to fitness. Uh, you guys might not even remember UltraFit. I don't know whether that's still about, is it? 
Never heard of that. You are are showing your age a bit there. (laughs) Well, UltraFit used to be the probably the most science orientated mag that was out there, and they were they were very heavily focused on uh, more endurance sports, so cycling, running, etc., etc. The things that were kind of more accessible to the public. So that was that was kind of one of the big mags at the time, and uh, really now I think there's so much information in the in the industry that people almost overcomplicate things. They get confused. Uh, there's so many different systems and so many different methods of doing things that the people seem to think the more you complicate something, which I think is just a normal human sort of reaction. The more you complicate something, the better it gets. And I think the the, the fitness industry is kind of in that stage of going full circle, where where now we're getting to that point where a lot of the a lot of the complex things are now getting broken down. People are starting to understand them a little more, and we're starting to bring them back to their roots and and almost a clearer understanding of what we're actually trying to do. We've just got multiples of ways of doing it. Then there's always going to be the constant argument, I feel like, within an industry of the best way to do it as well, within that, I mean... But, but, but that's, uh, I think that's, I think, Tom, that's a, it's a, a thing that the public demand upon us. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a bit like when you go into a GPs, you expect an answer. And, and our industry seems very, and I think this is down to a lot of the time, the type of people that our industry appeals to, because it's a very image oriented industry. It's uh, so, so we tend to get a lot of people who are uh, ego driven uh, such and, and take that in the, in the right way. It's not necessarily that these people are big headed and, you know, booling about doing whatever they're doing, but uh, because it has that ego element to it, people don't like to be defeated. They don't like to be beaten. They don't like to be proved wrong. They don't like any of that stuff. Yeah. And the problem is, is that in a in an industry that requires debate, requires topics to be discussed rather than necessarily argued about, it doesn't sit very well with a lot of people. So people like to get on their on their particular proverbial sort of fence and argue their side of an argument until they're blue in the face, and then lo and behold two years later they've completely changed their mind about something yeah. and and i think this is how how it is now and, and these things and these debates and these issues now they get put into the forefront a lot quicker uh, i mean ketosis for example is, is something that years hell i've seen that come and go dozens of times you know people have talked about it people have dropped it people have talked about it people have dropped it and it just comes on trend now and again and everybody starts talking about it. And then obviously it creates this domino effect where when one person starts discussing it, as do other people in the industry. And because of the, the way that we produce content, you look at topics that are hot. So obviously all the major influencers out there are going, you know, let's talk about ketosis because everybody else is. And then all of a sudden it becomes this massive, huge topic and things that people are curious about. And, and I, I think now those things, they develop so much quicker. I mean, when you guys got in the industry, there was... The, the traction and the ability to be able to learn things was so much faster than it was when when I started. When I started, there was I couldn't really pinpoint anybody specific that you would would go to, but there was there was there was two big kind of names in the industry when we first started, and that was you know Poliquin and Czech, and and, and you know we know where the, the, there's multiple discussions about yeah. you know them now, isn't it? And those were the two people that you took information off because they were the only two people that were giving it. So everybody back in the day were always, look, I want to follow this guy and this guy. And then we were kind of stuck because there was nobody else really getting out there 
and these were the guys that were writing for magazines and they were they, they had columns in certain mags and they were you know when they the internet came about it was you know they were the people that had articles about because they were the only people that actually produced content by that stage you know there's none of this fresh uh, sort of uh, generation of people coming through do you think that the the development then of social media has meant that potentially where there was an echo chamber of that information that now that doesn't really exist and that people are, are far have far more access to research for example i think it, it's laid out in a far more um, easy to read format for example nowadays certainly since i've been in the industry um when i first came into it like there's some things that i i used to read and 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 now it's something that i think gets questioned a lot quicker in terms of you read something now and you go well, is that right? I'm going to check with X, Y, Z source because they're the ones that I go to and they're the ones that I know that know their stuff. Whereas before, potentially, like you were saying, is it a case of there were a couple of people saying this stuff and it was almost a case of you had to just kind of almost believe them because that was the appeal to authority that there wasn't anyone else doing it? Yeah, and there was all, certainly the science, the science now. Hell, I remember doing my, you know, when I was at university and doing my dissertation at university and, you know, I sat in the British Library and and you had to manually go through all of these papers that people have now got access to, you know, twenty four seven. Yeah. And it's you know you had to manually pull every single paper out, and you know when you're writing a, a huge dissertation, and and I can't remember exactly how many references I had, but it was about three four hundred, I think, in the end. I did a study on creatine, and and you you know you had to manually pull all these out, and one of your largest time constraints was the fact you had to type all these references instead of having a you know you can pull them now from you know PubMed and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's very easy to reference articles but it's certainly there is that you know it brings it all together just like like you said Dan it, it puts it all into a big pot a lot quicker it gets stirred around people throw stuff into the mix and then all of a sudden we come to some kind of conclusion at the end of it but again I think there is still always that that people have their beliefs and I always say to coaches you know beliefs are the hardest thing to break in anybody because when somebody believes something, it's you know it's a solid, you know I believe this, I believe this, and and to break that down with with actual knowledge and education, it's it's you know it's very hard to do. You know you'll know this from dealing with clients, clients who believe that carbs are bad for them. You know you could you could tell them everything you need to know about carbs and why they're not, and and they'll still hold on to that belief that carbs are going to make me fat. You know, so therefore I shouldn't eat them. So irrespective of how many you program into their diet or whatever it might be, they'll still go away and eat less of them than you than you you know you you suggested, simply because that belief still exists. And and I still think that sort of sits there. And and what it's done, I think it's created this culture of uh, this science based uh, education or evidence based that everybody talks about. And I had a good. Uh, we did a, a module in the academy with a chap called Lauren Bannock, who's he, he represents kind of the ISSN in the in the UK. I'm sure you guys know who he is. Yeah. And we talked about epistemology, which is kind of the it's the science of science. It's you know it's it's breaking down what people are getting wrong within science as such. And and that was a really interesting you know conversation because we've got this real evidence based and this or oh, show me some evidence of this and blah 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 but we know full well that the vast majority of people with the exception of those that have came through university or done science degrees or things like this probably can't even read research correctly you know they go straight to the conclusion and go oh well this says that you know apples are bad for you so therefore that's my conclusion 
Whereas, you know, people who can actually read the research properly can look at, you know, the, the, the demographic it was dealt with, the numbers, with statistical differences, you know, all of this stuff that's really important to actually getting to understand it. But uh, as you said, Dan, there's, uh, there's so many people out there doing these great research reviews and things now, yeah. which everybody's got access to. And what that does, that takes these really complex subjects and this subject matter and putting these uh, really hard to read studies as such and papers and you know uh you know meta-analysis etc etc and these people are breaking it down into layman's terms for pts who are maybe only up to like level three for sure do you think that do you think that the like you, you mentioned before about how there's now this massive pot that people are throwing their ideas into do you think that it is easier or harder now than it was potentially when you started out to get the right information is it that there's now actually a huge amount to- I think it's, I think it's harder, harder in many respects because there's so much about. I mean, it, it, again, it's another one of them things that's gone full circle. Whereas before, it was so hard to get it. Now the problem is, is it's so hard to filter it yeah. and and actually get what's you know what's correct at the end of it. And then you know it's the same same for me. You know, I've been writing today about uh, you know the strength endurance continuum, and that's been kind of the topic I've been writing about all today. And and the, there's so much research. And, and it's hard when you, you know, we do modules where they're about 2,000 words long. And it's very hard to kind of pick the stuff that you see as the most relevant because you could write, you could write a book on that whole subject. You know, pretty much every subject we write about or, or discuss in the academy, you could, write, you could write for days on it. And, and it's very hard to, to pick the stuff that is most relevant to trainers, to coaches, people out there actually dealing with the general populace. So I think in many respects it is it is it is more difficult because it's you've got to you've either got to have blinkers on and just just stick to your guns and go this is what I believe and this is it, or you've got to have this whole ability to take so much stuff on board and 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 actually decipher it in somewhere. So it, it it's it's very different and it's as I say it's gone from one end of the spectrum where it was so hard to get decent information to the under the other end of the spectrum where now there's so much about that I think it does confuse people. Yeah. So you mentioned like at the start obviously it was the polyquin and check that where like information was getting from and now we've gone full circle into getting there's so many people out there great information wise. So you being a pretty reputable source, where would you go for your information if you had to? go to somewhere if you're not using yourself well there isn't really somewhere or, there's, or, there's... or say like figureheads now obviously you had check and polyquin back then figureheads now would be uh, for instance <sighs> Uh, there's so many endless <laughs> endless because, because you've got so many good resources of information i mean you can uh i can write a list a mile long i mean the you know the issn are always pulling out great stuff and they yeah. they they really do do a good job of putting things into not necessarily layman's terms but terms in which a, a, a qualified coach is going to be able to understand and actually glean something from so the, the, i don't really have a go-to i mean i spend most of my days on the internet and, and I'm searching and I'm, I'm looking for articles and pieces and I'm looking for stuff that's been uh, referenced. I'm looking for stuff that's data that's been collated, put together and all that stuff that's been done for me. You know, so so this is the great thing is that, you know, it, you know, the the, uh, the amount of meta analysis is out there now compared to years ago, because obviously now we've got that collection of studies that are required in order to do that. So whereas, you know, things, information 20 years ago that was kind of a bit sketchy is now a little bit clearer. Yeah. 
but you know, I mean, you look at the subject of my dissertation, you know, creatine, and people are still debating creatine. You know, they're like, well, creatine, does it work? Does it create rage? Does it, you know, and there's so many different concepts on what it does, but, but you know, it's probably one of the most clear-cut supplements in the industry. People are still a little bit, ooh, we're not sure about that. And that was down to probably a, a bunch of press releases and uh, mass media stuff that banded about hell 10 years ago. I mean, we talked about it uh, actually a few weeks ago, didn't we, Dan, in terms of creatine, because uh, we, <laughs> we were talking about some research that was done maybe 10 years ago on creatine affecting male pattern baldness. And we were like, it kind of needs to be redone, right, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it was thanks, too- Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it was mainly for Dan's benefit. I was just breaking it down for him. Uh, yeah. well, Did he come to the conclusion that Dan had <laughs> taken it and you had? Basically, that was it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's, it, like research needs to be redone. It needs to be because there's so many endless sources. Unless you've got a, like obviously university, Laurent Bannock's got an endless kind of source of being able to do it. Um, I in terms of research methods, I've learned some stuff off him because he's at Middlesex. That's where I'm from. Um, but yeah, some of that stuff and deciphering how to look at papers, how to break down, I think is a massive, huge skill. And I'm sure it's something, obviously, if you brought him in the ACA, we've we've reiterated it before. Both me and Dan have gone through kind of classical master's education, that kind of stuff. It is, it's really great to be able to look at studies that way. In the ACA, would you say that like, um, so as well as Laurent Bannock, you're working with Rich and uh, Gary Mendoza, right? Have have they they've kind of spri- have they kind of sprinkled their stuff all over the ACA yeah, yeah. in terms of, in terms yeah, of breaking absolutely. that Absolutely, I mean they're 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 managing the nutritional side of things, yeah. uh, you know, a lot more now because uh, they brought on they basically consolidated their their company as it was before and came on board as as part of the academy. Uh, so they're looking at after a lot of that, but uh, but obviously they they had a certified course that we've just basically migrated across to the academy platform so so people can come out with, with the AFN and obviously we have the ties it tie-ins with the ISSN yeah. so we get uh, we get people off the ISSN diploma if they want to continue their nutritional education as such and then then also we've got the ties with Middlesex as well uh, through Lauren yeah. and and it, we, we create this journey that's all we're trying to do we're trying to create this journey of coaches and go look what do you do after your level three your level three if you're not intending going to university whatever you come on the ACA then from that do we want to filter people off in different directions do they want to focus on business do they want to open their own gym do they want to go off and study nutrition more do they want to just stick to their coaching and get stuck into the nitty-gritty do boot camps whatever it might be and and all we're trying to do there is create a stepping stone because there isn't any there, there isn't one. There's just this simple, right, you know, you, you do your level three and you get in the industry or you go to university and then you come out of university, you then have to do your level three <laughs> if you haven't done it already to get into the industry. And, and and you've either got this huge plethora of qualifications, but everybody ends up in the same in the same pot as such. You know, I remember this debate, you know, we were talking about where we all worked at. And uh, I remember having the debate with him about the fact that, you know why were certain people within that 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 business getting paid more than others when, you know, ultimately some of us are far more qualified than than the others, and and obviously it still comes down to your delivery. You know, you can be the most qualified person in the world, but you can still be a terrible trainer. Yeah. You know, because you might have a good you might have a good grasp of science and you might have a good grasp of data, but can you transfer that and apply it to an individual? Which is a lot of the stuff we talk about is communication skills. Is how do you translate that to actual working content as such you know what does that mean for somebody doing a back squat what does it mean for somebody who's eating you know a thousand grams of carbs you know we've got to be able to understand that stuff and and you know we just create that stepping stone really for people to get 
into that level of education. And we brought on a lot of the guys from the ISSN. Uh, we've got uh, Jane Ogden. I don't know whether you're familiar with Jane's work. Uh, she does a lot of behavioural stuff uh, yeah. around eating. Uh, she's worked with Jamie Oliver and various others. She's going to be speaking for us at the uh, at the FTS conference. Uh, so Jane's done some great work, written some great books. She's got a new one coming out next year that she uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a read of before it's even been published, and and it's incredible. And that's pitched at level three trainers. Cool. So it's that vocabulary where she's you know uh, before it was very much a, you know talking to the public, whereas really how do we get this message across to more of the public? We give it to the people that are actually communicating to the public, which are guys like us, right? Yeah. You know, so we've got Jane, we've got uh, Ang Harad Banner, who's a, uh, she's a specialist in children's nutrition. Again, a kind of grey area as to, you know, we've got Jose's, uh, Jose Antonio's uh, doing some stuff for us, Corey, uh, Corey Peacock. Uh, we've got loads of names. Uh, Darren Kandau, uh, Darren Willoughby, all the guys from the ISSN. And the idea is we're trying to bring these science people in and introduce them to the public and yep. introduce them to our industry because a lot of these names people you know you guys might be familiar with especially coming from a you know a degree background but but most people out there won't have a clue who these people are but these are people that are pulling research and putting it in front of us so again we're trying to create that uh that opportunity should we say uh for people to be able to access these people and actually talk to them in a in a, a contextual manner you know, talk to them about the sort of stuff they're going to be doing with their clients rather than necessarily. And, you know, I have this discussion with the guys before I get them on for any interviews or writing any content. And I, I explain to them about this is who we're talking to. Yep. We're not talking to graduates. We're not talking to people who are coming out of a sports science background. So your vocabulary needs to reflect that. And there is that kind of, I always feel there's the kind of that massive void between, uh, you know, uh, uh, an average personal trainer and, and, and uh, science researcher. And the problem is that the language in between it just gets it gets lost because there's certain things this person hasn't got isn't bold enough to turn around and say, well, I don't really understand that. Yeah. And on the other end, these people are just hammering out loads and loads of data, unaware of the fact that the people making the biggest impact in the industry can't understand a word of it. Absolutely. Do you think that the, the biggest? Do you think the biggest skill then for any? new trainer not even any new trainer necessarily even a you know young trainer um do you think one of the biggest skills then is being able to talk to their demographic in their language yet understand the the science boffins and things like that 100 percent. communication communication is everything in this industry you know you can talk about knowledge you can talk about you know uh you could have the best the the, the most knowledgeable nutritionist in the world if they can't communicate and relay that to client it's worthless because it it doesn't you can't relate to the people that need it, you know. It's and and communication skills are, you know. We go down to social media, running and operating a business. If you don't know who you're talking to, you're speaking the wrong language. You know, I read so many social media posts every single day and think that all these people are competing with me, because because my demographic is trainers, and I'm looking at this content, reading it, and going, oh, they're pitching that at the same demographic I am, and I'm like, well. No, because they don't have a they don't have an educational platform. They don't have an academy. What they're trying to do is actually impress their peers, because they're writing content in the wrong vocabulary. They're they're using fancy words to try and make themselves look smart instead of using words that the the people that they're appealing to should be able to read and understand. So yeah, communication is everything. Soft skills. People people are never taught how to communicate, and and, and you know you guys know what it's like in London, right? Yeah. You know you want to talk to someone. Best thing you can do is either have a baby. 
Dan, you'll you'll be familiar with this. Yeah, yeah people talk to you, right? Yeah. Or or buy a dog. Because <laughs> then people will communicate with you. But but this is the, this is how it is. Big cities, right? You know, you've got a child. People will talk to you know. They'll be oh, they're ever so cute, and then they'll talk to you. And and the same with pets, and 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 it's remarkable. But people are are losing communication skills. And this is I had a, a discussion with a, a, a very very well known businessman actually, uh, not that long ago, a couple of months ago. And we were talking about you know the sort of people they employ, and a lot of them they. You know, he's very wary of people who are academically too uh, astute as such, because he says the problem is they come in, they're hugely intelligent, but they have no, they have, well, he said, he used the word common sense, but then we expanded on the conversation. And he said, the problem is they've got no social skills, because he knows full well to get to that level that they're at, education wise, means that their heads have been stuck in a book and not in front of another human being. So for them, it's you know it's very important that those communication skills and and I see it all the time, especially when I'm talking about the business stuff. Uh, I'm doing some consultancy at the moment for one of the one of the big gym chains, and one of the major problems that they have is is client acquisition and client retention. And and you know I try and get this across a lot in social media posts and things. That, and it's such a simple thing is communicate and talk to clients. I mean, mm. you, you you guys remember the setup at, uh, in Soho that they used to have, the reception setup, right? Yeah. I used to stand at the opposite side of reception and I used to lean over and I used to see when clients would check in because their names would come up on the screen. And I'd then go into the gym after I'd remembered three or four names and go and introduce myself to them. Mm. And I was working at that facility for, for three weeks and I had a waiting list. Yeah, it's one of those where, I mean... One of the one of the best things I was ever taught. I came from um, I came from professional football straight into personal training, um, and it kind of st- it kind of stood me quite well, I think, because it's quite a harsh environment, for want of a better term. Um, but multiple personalities, mul- multiple type of people that you've got to try and get on with, essentially. Um, and the best advice I was ever given was that the the word personal is more important than the word trainer, and. People forget that. People go on all these courses um, and they they, qua- they get qualified up to the max and they think, oh, I know all this stuff. I know why, like we discussed in a podcast the other week, why lunges are good or why they're not good or whatever. But yet they can't sit down with someone in a gym setting and talk to them and go, how's your day been? Or like, you know, how are you feeling today? Because like we used to, we I used to change my training sessions with a client based on how they're feeling that day, based on, Absolutely. oh, I've just had a really stressful meeting. I'm 15 minutes late for this session. Probably not a day we're going to do three reps on back squat. We're probably just going to relax a little bit today or whatever. And it's like those skills are what make a trainer essentially good in my opinion. But Well, well in, in my view, that's what makes a trainer a coach because mm. they're two totally different things. A trainer, as far as I'm concerned, is somebody who takes someone in a gym, puts them through the paces and then leaves them. And that's it. You know, anyone can put someone through a workout and keep their technique tight on whatever it might mm. be. That's the most basic rudimental skills that we should have learned, right? Is how, yeah. do, how do you do a pull-down? How do you do a chest press? How do you? And even that, you know, it's debatable whether people are teaching that right. <laughs> but but a trainer does that, whereas a coach communicates. That's the key art of coaching, right? And exactly what you're saying, Dan, is that you were in an environment where really you had no choice but to get along with the guys you played with, right? Mm. You know, you don't have a choice. You've, you've got to get on in some way, shape, or form, and you have to, you know, any differences or whatever it might be, you just have to smooth them over. And because of that, you develop those those skills of being able to talk to people and actually get information across, whatever it might be. And the adaptation of uh, what we call reactive coaching, 
which is t- taking the scenario of somebody when they come in and they tell you that I only got three hours sleep last night because the baby was up all night or, you know, I, I, I missed my breakfast this morning because I was a bit late for work or whatever it might be, it then uh, adapts and adjusts to what you're going to do with them, yeah. you know, and that that's the ability of a coach and that's the ability of somebody who actually sits back and listens. I always say, say to coaches, you know, one of the best things you can do with your client is when they walk in is do exactly what you just mentioned, which was say, uh, how was your day? Because you're an independent party, you're a neutral party to these people. So if they've had, you know, some crap at work or whatever it might be, the first thing, the first person they're going to tell is you, because mm. you've asked and been concerned about them and said, "How's your day been?" And if they then, you know, they want to, you know, relay whatever it might be, go off on some kind of rant for ten minutes, yeah. I'll let them do that. I think as a trainer, you get told more things than most people would uh, would ever yeah, imagine. Absolutely. I think uh, I, I still remember that <laughs> those conversations yeah. with people. Some yeah. you don't really want to know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's funny how like you have people who um, like, I I train some some very well off people, like well well to do business people owned their own businesses, and I'd see them, yeah, you know, last thing in the evening or whatever, and they'd probably had a day where they'd never had someone speak to them in a conversational social situation because they've just been talking at people the whole time. And the amount of times that I, I'd see other trainers trying, like, oh, I've got to impress them because they're this high-up business person. I would just be like, no, you're an idiot. Stop doing that, whatever. And they, they appreciate it because they're like, no, I've been, talk- I've been talking to these people all day like I'm the boss. I just want to have a normal conversation. And I think that one of the questions I was going to ask, which I think we've kind of just covered really, is what's the main attribute that you think for a coach or a trainer is the most important thing um, to develop? And I think we've kind of just kind of... To, de- to develop, to develop more certainly is communication skills, which, you know, and, and I'm glad you said the word to develop. Yeah. because again if we say one of the most important skills really you know we're not really we shouldn't be in the industry if we don't have the basic skills that that we require to be there and uh, not only that we should be able to actually take that information and be able to practice it you know and 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 this was always the funny thing about you know what i did never understood about my degree was when you know when i came out of it i was like well where's this actually pointing me because we spent probably we probably spent per week maybe two hours in a lab, and over the course of the, the the three years, we probably spent five hours in a gym, if that, you know. And that was that was just really when we had to do some isokinetic stuff or whatever it might be, and some of the equipment we needed was in the gym. It, had that not been the case, we'd have probably just stayed in the lab. Yeah. And it was it was it was just very peculiar to then go right. I'm now going to go into fitness industry, spend my life in a gym. You know, and I could never quite work that out. And I was like, well, you know, what a, I've got all this paper knowledge, as, a, as I put it sometimes, is I've got this paper knowledge, but I haven't got anything that applies it to anybody. And what it did over the years is that I found, and you guys maybe found the same thing, is that the science and the knowledge that I had essentially just dotted the I's and crossed the T's. It just confirmed to me that what I was doing was right. Yeah. You know, and... I think I think yeah with the I think that's the same with my degree thinking think about it like it the degrees only ever prepared you I felt for either number 1 going and working for the British Olympic Association because you're at Middlesex or you're at St Mary's and number 2 or go and do research and follow through with your basically stay in university and then you never kind of be let out let loose on let's like I'm sure the guys you're talking to now I've spoken to so the guys at Middlesex with the S&C degrees that I did um, they don't get shouted about and they're massive names that I think are putting out in industry knowledge and weird stuff that they're putting out but they never get spoken about it's very it's really strange 
So I've, I've only just really figured this, that out. This is also the same, you know, t- talking about the degree of Middlesex, yeah. the, the S&C degree. I get a lot of coaches ask me, look, how do I further my career? What's the educational pathways I should go through? And, and I'm always a little bit reluctant to say, go and do a do a degree because yeah. really in essence a lot of people don't need that now and certainly it's not an entry pathway to go look i've got a degree therefore i'm going to come in and be earning 100 pound an hour instead of your 30 yeah you know that it doesn't work like that it, it still comes down to who's the best coach and, and and down to who's got the best reputation who's got the the best delivery you know the the, the basic supply and demand thing where you know you get a waiting list of people essentially if you put your prices up you know, and continue to have a waiting list, you, 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 you're progressing, right? You know, it's yeah. business. And then, you know, I get a lot of people ask me about the S&C thing, and this was, this was something I actually, when I worked internally with one of the, one of the big clubs, they, I asked all the coaches what they were and what they did, and there was about eight or nine of them said they were strength and conditioning coaches, and this is in a commercial gym. Yeah. And I said, well, why are you labelling yourself as S&C coaches when you're not dealing with athletes? And they said, well, you know, people are impressed by it. I said, people aren't impressed by it. I'm impressed by it, <laughs> you know. But the general public are probably going to look at you and go, he's a strength and conditioning coach. That isn't what I want. What I want is I want somebody who's going to deal with my fat loss. Or I want somebody who's going to improve my health. Or I want somebody who's just going to be able to train me. Or I'm running a marathon next year. I want somebody who can do that. Uh, and they're looking at these people and going, well, they're out of my remit. They're not, you know, they're strength and conditioning coaches. I don't want one of them. You know, and it, it, it's just a bizarre thing. And, and I always say to, to guys, if they, you know, if you're going to go down the S and C route, make sure you're dealing with athletes. Yeah. Mm. Because otherwise, you're going to be left with a whole bunch of information you'll never actually use. Sure. I think um, I had like one one guy from a listener of the podcast reached out to me about two weeks ago. He's 16, wants to be a PT, but doesn't know whether he wants to go into S and C. And then I was like, obviously, you know, mine and dad's background. We went into S&C and we did buy I did biomechanics standard nutrition off the back of that but then we were like well actually we don't we don't use it to our full capacity right now because we did we didn't know we wanted to be trainers we've made those mistakes we've gone through a whole pattern if if you're a young coach you might you might go through I I, I still think the degree is valuable in the in the terms of it makes those quick decisions that we have to make on the fly. Oh, don't get me wrong. I yeah. never discredit yeah. how valuable a degree is but, but with respect to the amount of information that you actually then go out and use yes for sure it's you know, I'm sure the information that you, you know, how much of your biomechanics do you use on a daily basis? Education-wise, a lot, but it's the only on the. <laughs> that's only because I'm teaching, and then that is it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so. And, and Dan, nutritional stuff. What do you use? Probably, probably twenty percent of your actual overall knowledge. <laughs> yeah, if that. Yeah, it's uh, dealing with people every day. That's the thing. It's like thing. you know, like we've talked about. Is it's it's literally I deal with texts from people being like, "Oh my god, I've gained a pound this week." Not like. <laughs> oh my macros were spot on or whatever it was yeah, like yeah. oh my god i'm freaking out and i'm like just calm down like it'll be fine in a couple of weeks like don't worry about it it's yeah. they're the things that you deal with like you said we've talked about the, you know the communication aspect of things and the behavioral side of it understanding clients is is the the be all and end all and that's just not taught at university like yeah. from the four years i was at university just wasn't taught and yeah thrown in at the deep end uh like you say into into a football club and go right deal with these players you gotta you know you've got to make sure that they do their their programs whatever and i was like right um but I've got this perfect program. They've not done it. Why have they not done it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but this is it's kind of like this apprentice thing, isn't it? And, yeah. and I always say it's a bit like a, like being an apprentice. And and what I what I gleaned from being at university was the fact that they wanted me to be an impre- apprentice to them. The, the teachers and the, the the people teaching this stuff, all they wanted me to do was end up in a lab. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. They were trying to get me to go into doing research, the same as what all of them were doing. Yeah. 
and and that was the, the the emphasis, which was great for the science side of things, and 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 it was brilliant. But it was information that was no use to me in the field. It was information that yes, along the twenty years of me being in this industry, I've probably used every single last bit of it at some capacity in some respect. But how much of it is appropriate to somebody who's two years into the industry? And the last thing I really want to do is to encourage a, a potential PT is to say, go to university, rack up 12 grand of debt, and <laughs> then we'll deal with that. That's yeah, kind of the last yeah. thing I want to say, because really there's people doing better than you that probably only did a level three PT, Yeah, you know, who yeah. only went five grand in debt. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of trainers and coaches, obviously, that you've, you work with now or that you have worked with in the past, what are the... What are the small, little things that they'd probably do daily, maybe, that separates the successful from the not so successful? Like, what is it? What are those little things that you you probably know and you can pick up on quite quite easily, but maybe they don't know they're doing them. Uh, utilizing dead time—that's a big thing with PTs. Mm-hmm. You know, people always say, "Well, what, what was the difference?" You know. Uh, and, and I always remember that. I say I always remember it, and I, I instantly forget it. There was the the quote about uh, success and how long it takes you to to you know become an overnight success. And people see you when you're at that pinnacle. They see you when you're successful. When you you know when obviously you're out there and people are seeing and reading your stuff and whatever it might be. And like you know, much like in marketing, it doesn't come immediately. You don't immediately start getting awareness of a brand or whatever it might be. And you know, probably one of the major things that, that differentiated me, and I only knew this in hindsight, looking back at it, I was like, what was I doing when when they weren't doing something? And it was that willingness to work when it's so easy to sit down and put on an episode of, you know, a TV show or whatever it might be. And, you know, I spent 12 years without a TV when I left university. And, and I never, ever wanted to buy one. I never intended watching it. I never... You know, don't get me wrong. Now, you know, we have TVs, but it's but I spent twelve years when I lived on my own, and it was it was it was just me, and you know, whatever it was, I didn't see that as an option. I didn't think that in an evening I'm going to sit down and watch TV. I'd work till ten o'clock at night, and then I go to bed. Mm. And then if I had a social, you know, outing or occasion, I'd go on the social outing. I'd come back if I had time. I'd do some work, then go to bed. And that was that was the norm. And you know, when if I had a client cancel, I'd sit down and write an article, you know, that might never see the light of day, but it was me writing stuff, so I learned more. And you know, when when people were nipping out for coffees in between clients and stuff, I was sat reading through some stuff on the internet, or I was writing, or I was doing something. And 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 it's that dead time that that does add up. You know, you look mm-hmm. at those. You know, you might look as a trainer at the fact that you do a, this kind of weird split shift, which a lot of trainers do, right? They go in for a few hours, and then there's that dead time, middle of the morning. And what they do is they just dawdle around. They sit and chat with their mates or the other trainers in the facility, and 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 it's it's dead time. You know, I go into my local gym here. It's a big commercial facility, and, and all the trainers stand around like a 10-year-old at a school disco just waiting for somebody to come over and ask them to dance. You know, mm. and and nobody ever turns up. Nobody ever comes over, and and they, you know, they just stand there expecting that a client's just going to drop in their lap instead of going around and going, "I'm a trainer. I can help you," and just going over, introducing themselves, saying, "Hey, I'm Phil. I'm one of the trainers around here. If I can be of any help with anything, just give me a shout." Or they're going over and correcting someone's technique for free, 
or they're they're just getting themselves known you know and i always say to people if, if you're in a gym with three thousand members three thousand members should know who you are mm. and that's simple just introduce yourself because three thousand members ain't going to read a notice board three thousand members are not going to say hello to you if you've never said hello to them you know and they stand at the top of the stairs in this gym and just stare around and if they haven't got a client they you know that's all they do or they chat to their mates or they're you know they go and lifting weights or chatting to the people who've got something in, in you know that they can relate to and we always talk about relating to your clients and relating to and, and your vocabulary changes dan you were talking before about dealing with all these high-end sort of uh you, you know people big earners ceos etc etc and your vocabulary subtly would change because you'd you know you maybe talk about different subjects or you'd maybe talk about things that you could relate to them with and they could relate to you you know if you've got clients who are into football i'm sure you talk about football right you know and straight away they go oh dan's an ex-footballer i relate to him straight away you know so they'll talk to you and it's, it's like PTs in gyms, they go over, they find all the fittest people in the gym who will never, ever want their advice, and they go and talk to them because they can relate to them, right? I wish I was an ex-footballer, then I'd be a lot richer than I am now. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I used to just work in football as an SNC. Oh, you uh, worked in football? Uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a good job, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that'd be pretty sweet if I was an ex-footballer. Um, yeah. It'd be nice. But yeah, no, I think it's, um, I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing is this um, concept of... Um, that they think that they deserve this kind of like this working week that they should be able to like entitlement. Yeah, yeah. Like they feel like they, Oh no, I should have my weekends off and I, I only work till 6 PM or 7 PM. And yeah. I remember me and Tom having these conversations where I used to work in, in, in a third space and I, I used to do online work at the same time. I'd only have two days a week where I was in, in the evenings, the three days I was lucky enough to have my clients seven in the morning till 2 PM and then whatever. But I didn't start like that. I managed to work my timetable like that because I was, like you said, in demand. I had enough clients, and I was in a position where I could do it, and I could, I could, I could be like that. And then I'd often get, often hear people, trainers say, "Oh, I want my weekends to myself," and I'm like, I still don't get my weekends to myself now. Like we're recording this podcast, you know, Wednesday night, eight, nine o'clock at night. Like, who do you think you are? Like, we're <laughs> the successful people are the ones working till eight, nine, doing content, coming up with ideas. On a Sunday, they might reply to a client, they might do a training program because they have the spare time. Like. It's this whole concept of like, oh, within a year of being an online trainer, I'm going to have this beautiful life where I'm never going to have to do any work off, you know, on a time that I don't want to do it. Um, and it's like I've got I've got a reality check for you that even even eight years in, you're still doing that. You're still. Well, working. You know, I, I, I wrote an article about it today about you know, there's all this stuff now about this whole six figure trainer, financial freedom, all this malarkey, and and it really gets my goat because essentially these are people that are uh, they're, they're stealing money off people. And they're promising them all these false things about blah, blah, blah. You do some basic maths to start with, you know. An average PT is going to do about 25 sessions a week. You know, if you do the basic maths on it, what, you, what do you need to be charging to earn 100 grand a year? You know, and you do the basic maths with somebody, all of a sudden they kind of, well, hold on, how is this guru or mentor or whoever it might be going to get me to that? Is he just going to tell me to work more? So I'll tell you what, if you do 50 hours a week, you, you, you can earn half as much per session and you'll earn 100 grand. Mm. you know it's just maths but then the, the, what they've got to realize that in order to expand your business and obviously something that you were doing i don't know what tom whether you do online coaching as well do you yep yeah so online <laughs> exactly. stuff and uh, online stuff was always you know when i first started really and the industry sort of gathered this momentum everybody was very anti-online coaching because we're like mm. well it's not personal anymore online coaching is probably about as personal as as uh, if not more personal yeah. Than, than personal training, one-on-one -on -one training is nowadays. 
you know, because you communicate a lot more with the individuals. There isn't this thing where somebody comes in three times a week and trains with you. Out of those hours, nobody ever communicates with them. One of the things I used to do was always communicate. You know, I'd ask them how they were, how was the diet going, how was the training going, blah, 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 you know, all the time. And that was part of the service, and that was why I could charge a little bit more than other people because I had a better service offering, you know, and not just better results but better service offering. People are paying for a service. They're paying for personal attention. If you're going to be sat on your phone on a, uh, you know, while, while somebody is doing a bench press, don't expect to ever charge more for a service because you're not giving them it. You know, it's crap. You're not you're not giving them the service. And most people, when they come in, you know, they come out with with phrases. And when you're consulting with them, and, and obviously you've got to have an ear for this, and you've got to listen. But it, if somebody says, "I know what I should be doing," we know the next line is going to be, "But I don't do it." So what are they instantly asked you for? Have they asked you for a new diet? Have they asked you for a new training program? No, they haven't. They've asked you to help them with compliance. Straight away, they've just told you. I know what I should be doing. And to be fair, the vast majority of the general public ain't far off the mark. They all get you've got to be in a calorie deficit and they all get what's healthy, what isn't. They understand that shit. You know, but but you know, it's when it comes to training, yeah, they might be a bit off, but at the end of the day, they're doing activity, they're, they're moving. A lot of people are doing five, six exercise classes a week who are desperate to lose weight. You know, when you put them in the right deficit, they're going to lose weight. We know this. But then it's this, What's the problem? The problem is compliance. Is that, you know, coaches are giving them ridiculous diets that they don't enjoy, therefore they're not going to comply to. They don't fit with the times, which means they're not going to comply to it. They're giving them training they don't enjoy, which means they're not going to comply to it. And it all just comes back to the simple fact that if you can get people to do things that are appropriate to their goals, whether it's what you love or what you hate or whatever it might be, that makes you a good coach. That makes you somebody who's delivering results, you know, and the results are just a byproduct of people doing the basic stuff, yeah, creating a calorie deficit and exercising. I've, I've, I've actually, in terms of byproduct, we chatted about that. I walked into one of the Soho clubs, uh, I think about two weeks ago, and I actually had a question from one of the PTs, and he was like, "Oh, are your clients making like good results?" And I was like, "You, you know, I've, you're the first person that's ever really asked me that," and I was like, "Yeah." I, I take that as a given now. That's the that's just that's just what I do. Like that's that's not a problem. It's all the other crap that I'm shit at the business side, trying to lead and all that kind of stuff that I need to put my focus in. They're then if they follow my advice, they'll get results. Absolutely fine. That's that's a kind of a given. It was a really t- to follow your advice. Yeah, exactly. Is, is the tricky part. I thought I know how to get there. It's just getting them to do it. Basically, I was like, yeah, they're going to get results. It's absolutely fine. That's that's cool. But going back to that, Phil. Um, one interesting, we've always had a constant debate on this, is online PT kind of versus and which one's harder in terms of, in your opinion, which one is harder in terms of, um, I don't know, for, for you, like personal training one-on-one or online PT? Because uh, we see a lot of online PTs kind of crop up who might not have experience in one-on-one which is, PT. Which is, or which which one, is harder. Which one would you do first if there was an order? If Would you... Would you dip your toe in online? Would you? Dip I, your toe I'd always in do one on one PT, yeah. first to face, first, because because it's very hard to. Uh, it's a bit like learning how to. Uh, Dan, you've done the the coaching with football, right? It's very hard to teach a movement you've never done yourself. So so when yeah. you're teaching online, what you're trying to do is communicate things that are a practical application so i remember one years ago when i did my 
level three PT uh, with the with the YMCA many many moons ago. One of the greatest things they got us to do is they actually got us to teach. I think it was a bench press. And what they did is they got us to teach a bench press just as per usual, a textbook, you know, how they'd said, you know, you've got to get the setup, you do the spotter, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they, they said there's this routine where they had this list of checkpoints that you had to have. And then the tutor, and this, was, this wasn't in the curriculum as such, it wasn't something they, but the tutor had, had, had turned around and said, right, I want you to teach it without speaking. And then, and then he said, I want you to teach it without moving. There's no demos, there's no nothing. You've got to teach it all verbally. And these are things that, that if you're going to move into online coaching, you've got to have a good good ability with, is being able to communicate information that somebody's got to go away and practically do something and be able to get that across uh, and, and, and apply it to something. And obviously nowadays we've got with online coaching, it's so easy to send your client a video of something. How do you do it in a video or how-tos? and So... So the resources we have from a communicative perspective, uh, you know, years ago, online coaching was uh, you'd email a spreadsheet on Excel <laughs> or Word, and mm. and if you were fortunate enough you and, and a bit special, you'd send a PDF, you know. <laughs> but but essentially, that's all it was, and, and it would be a phone call, you know, and that was your communication, a phone call. Whereas now you can do what we're doing face-to-face. You know, we can be talking over video. Uh, I could be demoing an exercise here if I wanted to. You know, there's so many ways of communicating with people that we just didn't have access to all those years ago. So one-on-one is always, I think, the entry to going into online coaching, be it mm. six months of it, you know. But you've got to be able to take all that, that paper information you've got as such, the textbook information, put it into an environment and go, right, what are the problems that we might come across here? dealing with people what are the most common things we see and you guys as coaches will you know you you were both experienced enough to be in a position where there were certain things where when you get someone exercising in front of you and they do something wrong and you correct them and you have no idea what they did wrong and you have no idea how you corrected them you just conscious you know subconsciously you did that you corrected it because something didn't sit right so somebody's doing a back squat and you go look i just want you to move your right foot out slightly you know, and all of a sudden, the, the, the malalignment is all fixed. You don't know how you interpreted and went over that in your head. You just did very, very quickly because you've seen it so many times before. Yeah. And that becomes intuitive. And I think online coaching, you need that le- a, a certain degree of intuitiveness about your coaching in order to do it well. Yeah, 100%. I think those those skills come from having seen those squats from every single angle. But not only that, but also seeing someone one session and going oh we you know oh we fixed your squat no next time you come in you're still doing the same thing i have to remind you again and then again and then again it doesn't yeah. happen like in a week so you can send a video and go oh, i fixed their squat you know they're and then t- they're telling you oh yeah that's great and i'm like no i need a video again next week and again next week and again next week and um and yeah i think they're the things that you can only kind of get from like you said um the one-to-one side of things um anyway i think that's enough for the uh the heavy stuff unless tom you have any more questions um <laughs> no we're cool we're, was, that, was, that, was that heavy stuff no that's that's heavy. the that's the heaviest stuff. like that's the heaviest industry stuff, stuff. i mean like oh uh, yeah we we spend a hell of a lot of time about industry fitness boring crap right we got other lives like we do stuff outside hopefully 
I don't know. Mike McDonald doesn't. Apparently, he does nothing outside apart from nutrition. That's it. So, <laughs> and, and you've got to have, and you've got to have a better answer than Emma Story Gordon from one of the questions because she gets ribbed every time yeah. for the answer she gave to oh, one of the questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stick on. We'll stick Are we going to expand on what she said? Yeah, we will. Don't yeah, worry. Right. <laughs> um, so, we'll stay on. We'll stay on the training and nutrition a little bit because I want to know what Phil Lerney's training looks like at the moment. My training. Yeah. Right, not like too in depth, more like a split and a rough kind of like you know. Train pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take a day off when 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 business gets in the way or family gets in the way or um, something gets in the way that is is worth. I always talk a lot about hierarchies and and where things sit in a hierarchy. You know, your your family, your business, your your training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a lot of the industry we deal with, obviously, the training is at the top of the hierarchy. Yeah, they've got a choice of going out with mates or whatever it might be. They'll pick training. I'm going to the gym tonight. You know, they won't source lies or whatever it might be. So I would talk a lot about this hierarchy. So, you know, uh, repeat the question again. What's your training look like at the minute? Yeah, so, yeah. The, the split, you know, the split, what you're focusing on. Talk about hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the ideal scenario is is we train pretty much every day. Uh, I train with, me, with my wife and, and we'll... But that can get interesting. Probably about <laughs> It's one of them things where I've hated training with training partners for many reasons. Uh, typically because they're unreliable a lot of the time. You know, they say they're going to turn up and they don't. And that annoys the crap out of me. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but again, I know that she's going to be there every time and we're, we're, yeah. we're going to be able to go to the gym at, every time. So so I need somebody who's reliable to me in order to train with someone. If not, if I'm on my own, it's, you know, it's the same deal. And we'll train every day. Uh, we do a day where we do quads. We have a day where we do hamstrings. Uh, we have a day where we do, well, posterior chain as such. So we do glutes, hamstrings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we have a day where we do chest and biceps. We have a day where we do back and triceps. And then we revolve straight away. So pretty much every muscle group will be getting hit probably about every 48 to 72 hours. Yeah. So it's a frequency-based training uh, program. I certainly wouldn't do a split if it was infrequent. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I do simply because of things like protein synthesis, et cetera, et cetera. But because we get there pretty much every day, uh, we'll be in and out the gym. Uh, tonight's workout was about 30 minutes long. That's it. Mm. I won't have spent an hour, more than an hour in the gym in the last 12 months. Fair. I doubt. You know, if I train with a mate or something like that or I train with somebody different, uh, depending on where their training is, it'll depend on how much volume I use. Uh, so I did. I did some stuff with a, a, a very, very good bodybuilder about twelve months ago, and we ended up doing. I think it was about thirty-six sets. I think on quads. Uh, <laughs> I, I can walk. Up it it uh, wasn't like uh, your. Uh, it wasn't like your session with Tom Blackman in the prep, was it? Yes. Yes. Again, that's a prime example. So, so if I'm training with people who are way more experienced than me, uh, there's other elements should we say to take into consideration yeah uh i'll train at their volume uh it's not going to do me a, a great deal of good over <laughs> long term doing that uh but for short little stints I, i'll do that and I'll, I'll do some mad session where the volume's through the roof but typically we'll do about 12 sets per muscle group that's it so tonight we did uh line leg curl seated leg curl and rdls that was it four sets of each cool and then out uh, and, and most of our sessions are very quick. Uh, everything's superseted, so there's never there's never a rest period. So we basically bounce between equipment. So if we're doing chest and biceps, one of us is doing biceps, while the other is doing chest, and then you straight swap. Uh, 
Mm. And it makes sessions very, very quick, which leaves me more time to spend uh, on my business with my family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and that works for me now. You know, uh, gone are the days of me, you know, powerlifting and spending three hours in the gym trying to put kit on and off, and you know, loading bars up and blah blah blah. And you know, at some point I might go back to that, but but my joints love me now. You know, <laughs> they're very they're very happy right now. Uh, injury wise, touch wood, I'm I'm very good. I have a little bit of a niggle with my lower back at the moment, uh, but I think that's that's more to do with uh, sort of recreational stuff, really. Uh, rather than necessarily training, and just some some previous sort of injuries, I think. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, training is very simple, and we're throwing. We're very active, so we do uh, we do a lot of a uh, lot of walking. Uh, we always, whenever we're travelling, we, we'll use the step counter on the on the old iPhone. Mm. Uh, went to we were in Brighton for a weekend not that long ago, and we clocked up uh, a marathon. Uh, so we did. A full marathon over the two days, just walking. Nice, uh, which was cool. Uh, my feet weren't too cool, but uh, it, <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we we get out on bikes. We go out on the Boris bikes if we're in town. Whenever we're traveling, we always rent out bikes. We're going away next week. Uh, we were just in in LA the other week, and uh, you know, we took bikes out. Uh, so activity is is good, but we we also enjoy food, which I'm sure is one of your other topics. Exactly. So yeah, what would uh so you. Your training looks like that. What does your normal daily intake look like? We we want not like a calorie boring boring macro split. What do you eat? What like actual food things? Uh, anything that fits really. Don't go into the whole list of fits your macros. Carry on because it, mine will flux uh, massively. But again, this is this intuitive kind of element of yep. I'm fortunate in that I've been doing this for twenty years. You know, my body weight, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. Um, you know, my body weight sits around about 105 kilos, you know, without trying. Uh, it just sort of sits there. If I'm if I'm dieting, I'll drop below 100. Uh, but again, it's, you know, I've never really trained for, for size. I've always trained for performance or strength or whatever it might be. And, you know, I was a big kid. And uh, I think that's kind of carried over. So I always gain muscle tissue fairly fairly easily early on. And I've just maintained it, really. Uh, but food-wise, uh, it'll fluctuate day to day. You know, I, I have a good idea of what calories are in food, and I've got a good idea of what nutrients are in food. So it, it just tends to be what we want to eat. Uh, today, what have I had today? Uh, we have protein pancakes for breakfast. That's a mix. That's not making them from scratch. That was a, a mix. Uh, <laughs> metrics, I think, they're protein pancakes. We had that this morning. Most mornings we'll have eggs, salmon, uh, those kind of lines. So I had protein pancakes this morning for lunch. What did I have for lunch? I had uh, this. This sounds very bodybuildery. I had chicken and rice. And that was, <laughs> as I said, a cooked chicken we had uh, we had from the uh, previous days, and I just took one of the chicken breasts off, shredded it, threw it in some microwave basmati rice. You know the horrible microwave, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and uh, just took some sauce on it. You know we have a fridge full of various sauces. Uh, sweet chili sauce, you know. Uh, we've got this lovely katsu curry sauce at the moment. So I had some katsu curry on it. Uh, and this evening, what do we have this evening? We had fish. Uh, we had some cordon. We had some of that lightly dusted sort of fish. Uh, some stir fry vegetables, and we had some oven chips. Decent, yeah. Stable oven chips are stable. <laughs> yeah. The oven chips are good, and uh, and and I think that's pretty much. Oh, and I had uh, three rice cakes, but like chocolate covered rice cakes. Yeah. 
so so it, there is no at certain times of year if, if I'm really really busy uh, I get a, one of the food companies to deliver my food mm. uh, I just give them my numbers and typically yeah. they I annoy the crap out of them because I just want the same food again and again and again <laughs> I think that's a habit of... I bet they want to show off their menu and you're just like, no, just chicken rice is fine. <laughs> I only ever have salmon and sweet potato, beef and sweet potato. All day. And I'm like, that's all I want. That's all I want with some veg on the side. Done. Cool. You know? And right. they're like, well, you should try this. I'm like, no, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, the, in light of being able to choose what you want, um, this is the question that Emma Story Gordon got wrong. Uh, and there is a wrong answer. Um, What's your favourite burger topping? If you could have any topping on your burger, Emma so, chose gherkins. I mean, so why why is she getting ribbed about that? Well, I don't just curious because of all the things you could have picked, she just she all she had was gherkins. That was but, it. Bearing just mind, a burger with this, this, this yeah. Is but do you not think occasionally? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be on Emma's side a little bit. Yeah? Oh. So, so <laughs> when you think about the have you ever have you seen the new movie about McDonald's? No, no. It's called The Founder. Watch okay. it. It's it's the history of McDonald's. It's it's how it came about, and basically the guy that stole the McDonald's concept, and and obviously burgers started as burgers, right? Burgers in buns, and then the next thing they did was put sauce and pickles on them. And that was it, and that was burgers, and that's how burgers, certainly American burgers, sort of evolved. So I'm a, I'm a fan of the pickle, but I, I would not say a pickle. That's <laughs> I'm not, I, I will I will stand on Emma's side a little bit because I do think a pickle in a burger is a good thing. But but I'm I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be be stuck on that one. I spent years putting gherkins in burgers, trying to replicate that kind of. So yeah. I make all my burgers and stick gherkins in them. Yeah. Gherkins over here like bitter and horrible, and it mm. was actually I think they call them was it like pickled cucumbers or something we call them. Yeah. And everybody would always refer to them as gherkins. There's something wrong here. These gherkins don't taste like they just taste like vinegar. <laughs> Very disappointing experience. Anyway, <laughs> I divulge burger topping. I think it would have to be. Can I, I can only pick one, right? You can no, pick no you toppings. Can, you can topping, go crazy. Whatever. This, this, this oh, was this is this is what's barbaric about Emma's thing because we were like, you can have anything, oh, loads. Right. Yes. <laughs> go with loads, and she just went with a one. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> like a, it's like saying a slice of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A slice yeah. of Eden on top. That's all. But some people I guess like that, right? You well, know, yeah, it's, clearly. It's clearly, clearly but, but do, a good yeah. burger, a good burger is a hell of a find, right? You know, burgers are crap in this country. They're just really bad, especially when you buy them. Because burgers should be like brisket and chuck steak, right? That'd be cool. And that's what makes a burger. And they're, 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 you know, when you go to like all these big and, and London's incredible for burger places right now. Patty and you know, Oh, incredible, isn't it? And you get a good <laughs> burger, right? Anyways, anyways, I'm thinking about this. So I'm actually <laughs> drooling thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, I think my two my two favourite ones at present are blue cheese. And caramelized red onion chutney. That's the, decent. Yeah, that okay. is, that's, a, that's, yeah. That's, that's that's new. We've not had someone say that. The, that's the, good. The, the I like that. I like the sweet with the yeah. with the, the sour and the. But I'm a big fan of that. It's like the the kettle corn. You know, having sweet and salt together. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Carry on. Salted caramel. And then you, know? you get to have a milkshake with it. Any again, like anything you want. Milkshake. I think I probably just touched on it there. Probably. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to backtrack. I think it would have to be some of the peanut buttering. Yeah. So I'm thinking probably a chocolate peanut butter would be the one. Either that or salted caramel, I think. Yeah, it's a strong shot. I just realised, Tom, that we haven't ever given our answers to these. We're going to have to give them. Maybe, maybe episode 100 we'll do that. 
Um, yeah, we've got to yeah. wait for the next award show, right? So we've got to do that back. <laughs> and then, and then last question, Tom. I'll offer it. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tom's favourite question, the last question. Oh, it's great, yeah. So obviously you talk about burgers, but if there's, um, if you had one animal that you ha- you were only allowed to eat for the rest of your life and you're not allowed to eat anything else, obviously you could have different cuts, you can have different like bits of the animal or whatever. So you can like chicken, you can have the breast, nuggets, whatever. You've got swine, you've got the bacon, pork chops, whatever. Beef, you've got different cuts of rib or go through there. Or if you can go with fish, we'll give fish as like the whole entire ocean because that kind of just blends in together, right? So, or anything like that. What would you go with? And why? Yeah. It is a, it, it... Like hugely specific. Or no, just... no, no, no. Like you just got to pick the animal. So whether it be pig, I'd, I'd go with cow. like I'd go with I'd go with a cow. There we go, cow. Well, that, I, I, want a cow that, I want a cow that's been fed beer and uh, and been massaged for its entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hot. most people pick cow. I think. Yeah, I just because uh, your variety is just huge, isn't it? I just feel yeah. like you. I just I always feel like you overlook bacon. I feel like yeah. Know, I I, oh, I always go pig. I always go swine. But... Oh, because it's but but why it's it beyond bacon pulled come pork. On, sell it to me. Pulled, pulled pork. pork. You, still, yep, you can yep, get lean. You can still get lean bits pork. of pork. So when you diet, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. but remember, you, you you just said meat. Are we talking meat and sauce here? Because I tell you what, pulled pork with no oh, sauce on it. Yeah, you, you can go it's sauce. Yeah. Diet. I didn't. I didn't say. <laughs> Yeah, like, having, like having roast chicken shredded just roast yeah. chicken shredded. no it's more it's more just the case of like almost like like a vegan like it just means you only eat that one animal it's just like it doesn't mean you can't add sauces to it it's just that if you you can only have Sorry, so like can drown pork. them in any type of sauce we want oh yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, beef, beef would still get it for me you know the, just the the uh the span of what you can have there i'm a massive fan of skirt steak Cool. Or uh, what they call bavet, uh, the 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 big cuts fillet steaks, incredible. Short rib is my favourite type of cut from a from a cow. Short rib is if done properly is the absolute nuts. Uh, you know steaks, burgers, flank steak. Don't get me wrong; it's a hard, it's a tough choice. It's a tough <laughs> choice to make. It's just yeah. well, we've got pulled pork and bacon, and that's it. Oh, you got gammon steaks. You got you can have gammon and egg. You got gammon steaks. You got come on, pork shoulder. Oh, this, this is like go any, any big restaurant in London. There's going to be a handful that sell gammon. And there's, a good reason, <laughs> yeah. there's a good reason. There's only a handful that sell gammon. Fair point. Yeah. You know, gammon and pineapple. We're going back to my childhood there. Oh wow! You know, yeah. pineapple. Well, yeah. really. Bacon though, I'm still I'm still taking bacon. That's the thing. You're you're speaking to a guy that before we just came on, I literally had Brenner for breakfast for dinner, and I had bacon, eggs, and like sausage. I was just like, yeah, that's great. Sausages, yeah, 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 Mm. sausages. I guess I guess in there, but again, I was looking at the lean cut kind of thing. You can get beef sausages, I suppose. You can get beef sausages, but but then that's kind of a waste of beef, isn't it? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah. Create a burger. Beef burger, <laughs> beef burger, hamburger. You ever had a hamburger? Well, they call yeah, they, no, they are called hamburgers, but yeah. <laughs> the only hamburgers I can ever remember having were in a tin. Oh yeah, hamburgers were actually made from ham. Mm. <laughs> on, you know, that doesn't sound too good. That doesn't. Well, sound I, too. I guess you don't get many vegans on the show. Um, well, no, we, we, we no, we will get one that's experimenting. We're going to get one on, yeah, because it'll be quite funny. And then what are you got to say? Um, well, we've got um, 
Yeah, well, we've got. Um, I work with Emil, um, who is Project Goliath. Who he's yeah, a good with Tom. With Tom, yeah. So um, yeah. I work with Emil. So we, I chatted with him today, and we uh, we said we'd get him on because he's doing his month of going vegan as an experiment. So I think towards the end of the month we might um, sit down and have a chat with him. But he's been um, he's taken a lot of shit for that. A lot. <laughs> oh, wait. Hey, I'll tell you what. I I set up a vegan diet for uh, for for the well the actor I'm dealing with. Uh, for this this thing and the first few days we had a bit of a dilemma because we couldn't get a vegan uh, diet delivered to him you know if you're in la or wherever it might be it's it's an absolute doddle but mm. london is like nobody does vegan diet plans so so i actually had to make some food for him in the first couple of days so so i i prepped dishes stuck it in a taxi sent it to a hotel in central london and then they take it to the studio next day and all this current and and I'll tell you what, what a absolute hassle trying to create a vegan diet in a, in a major supermarket. I mean, we went to Marks and Spencer's. Unfortunately, they do do a few meals that are vegan friendly. Vegetarian, great. Vegan, not so much. Yeah, he has to, he's been no. checking the labels of everything and like oh. even down to the point of like, you know, some BCAs he can't have and like, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's crazy, really. Um, yeah, capsules, you can't have gelatin capsules. Yeah. You, can't have, you can't have strawberry protein powder. <laughs> you know that. I did not know that, but then there's so many vegetarians out there consuming strawberry protein powder. Shouldn't yeah. be. <laughs> that's probably what? the most interesting fact of this whole podcast. Right? There, there <laughs> that's, guys, that's what you need to tell your clients who are yeah, vegetarians. Yeah. A lot of strawberry protein powders are non-vegan and vegetarian friendly because they're they're coloured with cochineal. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. You know did what cochineal is? Did not know. No. no. Crushed beetles. Crushed Beautiful. beetles. Oh. Cochnail, there you go. You Google that. After <laughs> <laughs> For <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> right, I think that uh, I think that rounds up this episode. Um, so yeah, thanks very much to Phil for coming on and giving up your time to uh, share absolute, your wisdom with. Absolute pleasure, gents. Yeah. it's been fun. If uh, yeah, if, any, if uh, there's anything anything further you want to say, any plugs, obviously ACA, um, where they're going to go find that. Yeah, uh, Advanced Coaching Academy. So it, again, as as we said earlier in the episode, it's uh, it's a stepping stone for coaches coming from the level three. Uh, for some people who've been in the industry a long time, it's a great way of uh, backtracking a little bit and uh, re-establishing your business model. Uh, we do a lot of work. The, the the business module is the one that people love the most because it's the one that gives them money essentially. Yeah. So the business module is all tailored towards basic business practice, very simple stuff. Uh, there's nothing in there that's going to create you know, I say that uh, there's there's nothing in there that's promising you false crap. There's no magical formulas. There's no nothing. There's stuff that is going to require you to work, require you to do what is asked of you in it. Uh, but it's structured so you can build and develop a business. We've had uh, five gyms open since the ACA started that have been off the back of the ACA and the work in the ACA, mm-hmm. so which is quite cool. Uh, Revenue-wise, I don't know what where people are. Uh, but, but once they've finished the first level, we'll actually con- consult with them and find out where their revenue has gone from. So we'll have some statistics there, but there, there's some great results. Uh, the Advanced Coach Academy, we have three modules, uh, Applied Nutrition, which is an AFN certified course, uh, which is integrated into it. And then we have, uh, that's also Active IQ and SimSpar accredited. You get 10 CPD points per module. Uh, we have the business course, business acumen course. Again, 10 CPD points accredited by Applied uh, Active IQ and SimSpa. And then we have the apply, uh, Advanced Coaching course. Uh, so we run all three. Most people are doing all three together. 
and uh, it's, it's 52, 52 weeks worth of work if you do one module a day, one module a week, sorry, of each one of them. Uh, most people aren't finishing in that time scale, but it's a, it's a self-paced course, so we know how some days it's very busy for PTs, others it isn't, and uh, some weeks are a bit manic. So it, it allows you to continue on after that point. And uh, yeah, so advancedcoachingacademy.com. Uh, check it out. Go and see what's see what's what. If you've got any questions, feel free to email me. It's just phil at advancedcoachingacademy.com. And uh, yeah, any questions, feel free. Yeah, I mean, I can advocate it for it because I've got two of my trainers that are my uh, clients uh, that I've pushed onto it. So they're doing it at the moment. So all good. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries, mate. All good. Um, so we advocate it a little bit, obviously, with the, um, just for education. Love it. So yeah. Awesome, Dan. Anything to say team box-wise? What's going on? No, mate. No, we're all good. Everything's rolling. Everything's going well. So, yeah. Just follow our work. We're now on Instagram as well, at Team Box UK. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah. And we're not actually going to disclose who's in charge of that yet as well. That's like a little bit of a secret. We might run and a competition we, and we, and we have, we guess. And we have Mr. Box himself actually speaking on the ACA stage uh, at the uh, FTS coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah which speaking on our stage. When this comes out is going to be two weeks, two weeks away, I think. Cool. Um, yeah, and I know he's looking forward to that after speaking to him. So he's yeah. um, he loves being on stage, whether it's in pants or in clothes. <laughs> so sure he'll love that. we won't talk about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thanks again, Phil, for coming on, and uh, we'll welcome. speak to you, catch up with you guys uh, next week. Catch you next week, guys. Yeah.